0: Hello and welcome to the Food Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Food Freedom Coach, and I'm really excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now, today I have Eugenia Nikiforo, who is an eating psychology coach, as my guest. So, Eugenia is not only a coach, but also a speaker. She has a wealth of experience having a BSc in business psychology, and her background is in psychology, coaching, personal development, business, and marketing. Eugenia is the founder of Mind Foodness. Eating Psychology Clinic and is helping people to feel normal around food again by combining nutrition, psychology and neuroscience. She's based in New Zealand but is working with clients all over the world and she's regularly featured in the media and her advice has been sought out on radio stations, local online media, magazines such as Next and Good Health Choices and international online media such as Now to Love and MSM. You will also hear Eugenia regularly sharing her passion and knowledge about eating psychology and business on podcasts. Now, this is a great interview. I know you're going to really enjoy it. Eugenia talks a lot about habits and the role of the brain in changing our habits, particularly around overeating, binge eating, and changing our relationship with food. So stay tuned and listen in. Hi, Eugenia. Great to have you on the podcast today.
1: Hi, Harriet. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Okay. Could you just tell me a bit more about who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah. So I am an eating psychology coach, the founder of Mindfulness. I'm based in New Zealand, Hamilton. And I help people to feel, let's say, normal around food, to feel more in control around food. And the way I do that is I combine nutrition, psychology, and neuroscience to really address the core reasons why someone might be overeating or is fearful of food. So we look into more like the why and the how of eating.
0: Mm, That sounds great. It sounds like a really holistic approach.
1: Yes, yeah, it is a holistic approach. Yes, because I find a lot of the time people focus on what is it that I need to eat, right? You go to a nutritionist and dietitian, and very often they focus a lot on here's your diet plan, this is what you need to eat. But I find that a lot of the time we know what to eat, we know what to do. There are really those psychological issues sometimes that are driving someone to not to do what they know they should be doing so that's where I personally liked yeah to go into and to look into
0: okay so how are you coping with the lockdown there because I understand that has it been lifted earlier now in New Zealand
1: yes yes so we had four week lockdown in terms of stage level sorry level four and now we are back to level two So yeah, the first four weeks, well, actually six weeks, really, we stayed at home. And now everything is kind of slowly getting back to the new normal. So the shops are opening, the cafes are opening. And yeah, I find it great. I love that time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you're really pleased to be getting back to kind of a bit more normality, are you?
1: Yes, I mean there is a positive, and there is I think yeah there are things that I really really enjoyed staying at home and you know having more time with my partner at home, so it was really beautiful. But it's also beautiful to go out and be able to go to a cafe or or the shop. And but it's also good for the economy. So yeah, it's good for us for a lot of people mental health wise as well. So yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah, well, I think you're so right, actually, because I just so relate to kind of quite mixed feelings about it, because I think it's, yeah, there have been some real highs and some real lows, I think. So, Eugenia, you've been on your own journey in overcoming issues with food in your body. And um, so mm-hmm. could you tell us all a bit about this journey? Yes.
1: Yeah, so I struggled with an eating disorder over 10 years, probably around 15 years. It started when I was about 15, 16 years old. And it started very innocent with, I guess, girls talking about how to lose weight and how to look better. But for me, I think I went a little bit further with that and didn't, I think, recognize that as an eating disorder as such because nobody spoke about it. It was almost normal. I knew that the things that I was doing were not normal, so they were secretive as well. But nobody spoke about it, so I didn't know actually anything about it. And I never spoke to anyone openly about it either. It was not until, so that's why, that was when I was living in Germany. It was not until I came to New Zealand that I slowly started recovering because I was away from my environment that I knew, and I also started going or joining new groups and started new hobbies so that slowly really helped me to turn my focus from eating and food and my body to really enjoying life so to experiencing even my body in a different way like for example doing yoga so looking into what is it that my body can do and then I started dancing and again I guess enjoying what a body can do instead of what is not good enough about it, what's not good about it. And yeah, so very slowly then I got better. And then unfortunately I decided to join like a body physique competition. And that was a time in my life when things were just not, not good. So I broke up from my long-term partner. I was really, really unhappy in a job And so it was like a spiral and just so many factors that led to another really major dip when it comes to an eating disorder. And that turned into more like a binge eating disorder. So I couldn't get out of it for a long time until I got help and support. And yeah, and then slowly I recovered and it's been quite good. I think since, yeah, for about five years.
0: Hmm. Well, that's so good to hear. And it sounds like initially, was it more a kind of restrictive kind of eating disorder to start with? And then when you got into the sort of body physique stuff, that's when it developed more into binge eating?
1: Yes. Yeah. So first it was more restrictive. Then I wouldn't say that I was bulimic, but let's say there were behaviors that were similar to someone who is bulimic, but it didn't last long. Mm. But it was, yes, very, very restrictive and very controlling of my body and fear of gaining weight, I guess, as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I know because I've I've kind of worked with clients and spoken to other people that have been in that whole kind of body physique world. And I think Mm. it's incredibly challenging, actually, I think, isn't it, to kind of have a healthy relationship with food when you're kind of pushing your body to such limits.
1: That's right, yes. And uh, back then I really thought I'm I'm well, I'm feeling good I feel good, so why can I not do that? I really believed really, I can do that. But what happens is because so I think especially for women and I see that for most women even more, when we are restricting so much food, it's really emotionally hard to sustain it for a long time. So your hormones change. So I lost my period for half a year, for example, and emotionally I really needed psychological support to actually get, yeah, emotionally stable again. So I think it's, it is quite hard for a lot of people. Yeah. Mm,
0: Sure. And was it like a hard decision to leave that kind of whole body physique kind of world? Or was it kind of quite a clear thing that you kind of, you know, you really wanted to do that because you could see how damaging it was to you?
1: No, it wasn't hard because I think if I look back, there were so many different things that were just not working in my life in general. And I got to, let's say I hit rock bottom. And to me, it was clear, I really need to do something about it. And that's when I reached out and asked for support. I, I, for the first time ever in my life, I actually spoke out and I said, hey, this is what I'm doing. I really need help. I actually can't do this on my own anymore. I need help. That's where I was my ex partner who then suggested a family friend who was a psychologist and he was actually helping me. And to me, that was clear. I really made huge changes and major changes in my life. And one of them was to fully get out of the gym environment, the exercise environment for quite a while, and also leaving my job. Like, really, I made major shifts there. Yeah. So, no, it wasn't really, it wasn't. I just, I wasn't well.
0: Yeah, sure. So it sounds like in a way, yeah, leaving that kind of world, it kind of coincided with lots of things where you were making changes in your life.
1: Yes. Uh, Yeah. Like it was a big pivot. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So was the turning point kind of going to see that psychologist and actually beginning to be open about your struggles?
1: Yes, yes. It was two things. One was to actually first time in my life to speak up and to share about about my struggles, to, to share about what's going on, then seeking support again for the first time ever. And then also I have a friend who is a coach and I shared with him for the first time as well. And he said to me well have you shared it like let's say openly on for example social media and Jesus Christ no (laughs) I've (laughs) never shared it with anyone and he said well why not and I think I said to him well I'm scared of what people might think of me and I really would like you know to portray a certain image of myself and I don't want people to judge me and yeah I guess I was scared but then he showed me the the benefit of it and actually just to to get it out to speak up to get it out share it and then you don't need to be secretive you don't need to carry this load I guess on your own so that's what I did as well and from then on I started sharing more and be open about this topic and I'm able to yeah, to speak about it and then at some point decided that I want to help other people, in particular women who are struggling with that as well. So that's why sharing my own journey was definitely a part of it as well.
0: Mm So kind of like sharing and being open. And I guess it's something that we so shy away from sometimes, don't we? Like with an eating disorder or disordered eating, you can feel so much shame. But it's just so helpful, I think, just to hear, you know, like from your experience and so many others that like when we speak out, it kind of starts to take away that shame. And it actually really helps kind of with your healing.
1: Absolutely. Yes. And I found that the more I shared, the more open I was, the more people shared it back. And so, yes, I absolutely can relate to it or I can understand there was never any judgment from anyone or at least not that I saw it. It was actually like when I shared that openly on social media. There was so much great feedback that came and support that came from people. So they felt connected and then they feel more open to be vulnerable and to be open as well. So you're kind of creating this open space for people to also share. And then we don't need to suffer in silence and feel like we are the only ones because we're not. There are so many people who are struggling But the problem is that, yes, like you're saying, we feel so much shame and we feel like, well, something is wrong with me. I'm broken. And I think that makes it really harder because we feel alone in this as well.
0: Mm, such a powerful message. So what was your own journey then to actually kind of then transforming? I guess, you know, you, you were kind of like recovering yourself and coming out of all of this. But obviously now you've got like a successful business and you're working and you're supporting like many other people to kind of heal their relationship with food. So how did you kind of transition, I guess, to kind of working in this area?
1: I think it happened quite organically. And the journey of it in general that I always wanted to help people from when I was little, I always wanted to help people, but I didn't know how, I didn't know what I want to do. So after high school, I did an accounting degree and I felt like that's not really what I want to do. And then I remembered I always loved psychology. I always loved knowing why we do what we do and why we don't do what we know we we have to do. And I, I discovered this degree, which is business psychology, that's where I could combine the business side, like the numbers because I always love numbers as well, but also psychology mm. and so that degree that had I had a double major, which was personal development and coaching. So that's where I covered a lot of tools like NLP, cognitive behavioral therapy, acceptance commitment therapy, gestalt, like lots and lots of tools that were just amazing. So then after that, I went into HR. Now, while all that was happening, I was going through the eating disorder. When I was working in HR, I felt like I'm still not helping people in the way I want to help them and also being very, very unhappy. So that's kind of when (laughs) that puzzle came together, being very unhappy in the job. I also, because I was joining the body physique competition, I wanted to know more about nutrition. And someone suggested to me, well, there is this one year course certificate, holistic nutrition that you can do in New York like via distance learning. So I did that as well because I thought if I know about food, if I know what I have to eat, then I can be healthy, I can be well, and I can have this beautiful physique and all these ideas that I had. But the more I studied about nutrition, the more confused I became. And then, as I said, I got really, really unwell joining that physique competition, being very unhappy in my job, and that's when it just clicked for me. And I said, you know what, this is not right. The Just looking at nutrition and food is just not enough. I started looking into why am I overeating? Why am I constantly binge eating and can't stop eating? How am I eating? I say being secretive and, and a lot of it, a lot of sugar. So that's when it started coming together with me. And then I decided to quit my job and yeah, I decided that I'm going to help other women who are going through this. I believe that I knew enough to just start in terms of focusing on nutrition. And as I said, I also had already that psychology and coaching background and I felt I had enough to get started. And that's what I did just quit my job one day and started my business
0: (laughs) Mm. (laughs) well fantastic I mean I think you've just got you know such a wealth of like knowledge and experience to share and I think just when you're talking actually what sort of struck me is I think you know it's it's interesting isn't it how I think if we have a damaged relationship with food sometimes we think yeah we need to just like learn more about nutrition and kind of get all the facts and you know often I think people with disordered eating like know more about nutrition (laughs) Than anyone, but it's the psych. Yeah, it's the psychological side, isn't it? And the kind of why I'm doing what I'm doing, which is so important. Yeah, and I kind of envy you actually with like your business experience as well, because it must be fantastic having that. You know, uh, additionally, yes, yeah. Okay, so I know you've identified like eight common triggers and for why people feel out of control with their eating. So, Mm. could you tell us a bit more about those triggers?
1: Yes. So I think when I started looking into binge eating, into why can I not stop eating, I understood that binge doesn't just happen. Yeah. This urge that we experience, it doesn't just happen. There is actually stages. It often starts with a trigger. And I believe that if we can go right back and address the triggers, then we'll less likely experience the urge to binge and then the actual action so the actual binge will be less likely to happen as well so then when i started looking into okay what do i think is is going on like what are the potential triggers i looked into myself i looked into my clients and i've identified those those eight and i must say i keep seeing them over and over again and yeah so so, it seems like there is, there is a trend happening. So, the first figure, what I see is definitely, and I think I'm very sure that you, you know that as well, is like dieting, restricting, so having some sort of food rules. Yeah. Yeah. Not eating enough or being fearful of food. So, that's, and also looking at the literature and research, they also back it up. And they said that it's actually the major reason for binge eating and then maybe even purging the second one is not being happy with our own body image which makes sense right then we want to control our food so therefore we restrict and therefore often people would not often but some people would then use other substances to get rid of food for example so that's where we go into bulimic and purging again yeah yeah, so these are the two main reasons what we see. The other one is sensory triggers, as I call them, the sensory triggers. For example, maybe you can <laughs> relate to it as well. You are not thinking about food, you go through the mall, and out of a sudden, you see this beautiful, maybe cake or chocolate or some sort of really delicious looking food. And mm. now you think to yourself, hmm, might have it.
0: yeah absolutely
1: (laughs) yeah or let's say sometimes clients describe to me they are not thinking about food and let's say come home someone is cooking or baking chocolate biscuits Mm -hmm. and then you just smell them you see them you start with only one and then if someone is also restricting probably and has this idea oh my god I should be eating this. Well, now I ate one. Might as well continue and finish the rest so there is nothing in the house. (laughs) Then that can trigger to also overeating or binge eating. But again, it's often combined with someone who has that diet attitude, I guess, or diet background. The other trigger that I see is emotions, right? Feelings, emotions that we struggle to manage or not sure how to manage a lot of this is also learned behavior I mean how often do we see movies when someone broke up with let's say a girl we see them then eating like a tub of ice cream and crying in front of TV, right? So some of it is like that as well. But also we learn that as well. When we grow up, let's say we are crying. So mom would go, oh no, just be a good girl. (laughs) Here you've got a lolly, right? So we learn that by eating something sweet, when we're emotional, when we are crying or sad or angry, that soothes us. It changes how we feel. Mm. So that's why I'm saying I believe it's some partially it's also learned behavior it's conditioned we've been conditioned to do that as well yeah yeah what else do I see habits it turns into a habit if we repeat the same behavior over and over again now like anything it becomes a habit yeah it becomes part of what we do and then we start going on autopilot and are not really thinking about it then too much. Yeah. Yeah, it's what we do. So it turns into a habit. And another one is, and I haven't seen that in any literature, but to me, that's what I see with my clients. And to me, it also personally makes sense. So let's say stories, certain stories and certain beliefs that we have. Let's say if someone is telling a story to themselves I can't go out and social with my friends as long as I am this weight. Mm -hmm. I can't travel until I've lost weight. Yeah. Or I can't wear beautiful clothes there. And as long as I have this body. So there are these stories, but what happens is people withdraw from being social. Mm -hmm. People withdraw from having life that they enjoy from doing activities that are meaningful to them. So, what they do is, and that's what I see with them, then they say, Well, food is the only pleasure that I have. Mm. Right? So, they withdraw, they feel, they feel lonely, they feel isolated, and food becomes that friend. It becomes a lover, it becomes a psychologist, it becomes entertainment. Food becomes everything in that moment. And I had so many people, women, I'd saying to me, Food is everything to me. And if I stop that, what else is there then
0: that's fascinating actually I really like the way you put that and describe that actually because I think it's we do tell ourselves powerful stories don't we and I think we can get caught in that trap we can get caught in the trap where food is almost like the pinnacle like the number one pleasure the kind mm. of one thing to be relied on but because those stories and beliefs become quite kind of entrenched don't they? and we kind of tell ourselves them again and again so I, li- I really like the way you put that because I think it's you know such a helpful way to to look at it.
1: Mm, yeah, and and breaking it down. So what I do is when I lead people through my online courses, they go through these triggers to identify what are your triggers. It might be just one, it might be all of them. So once we know, we can really then identify what is it that I can do specifically when I have this trigger. First, we'll learn. To identify what the trigger is, then we look into what is it that I can do when this trigger happens. So we have like a plan of action next time something happens. And then slowly, slowly we are changing those automatic behaviors and yeah, breaking those habits, long-term habits as well. And I call it like re- we are rewiring the brain because we are now creating new ways of thinking, new ways of doing things as well. And that's how we're rewiring the brain.
0: Is that how we kind of create these habits and things in the first place? Is it in terms of like, can you sort of explain a bit more about that in terms of exactly how we kind of get entrenched in these kind of habits?
1: Mm. So if we look into how we create habits in general, so there are a few stages. One is there is a trigger at the beginning. So that trigger, let's say I'm just as an example, and I think a lot of people can relate to it, it triggers my phone buzzes, yeah, or it might make some yeah. noise, yeah. So then there is a behavior. So I pick up that phone and I see there is a message that was a behavior. Now there is a reward. So when I see a message, it releases dopamine. That's why that's how we get addicted to our phones and social media. Right? It's like oh, there's something new, something exciting. I'm needed. I'm wanted. I'm interesting. <laughs> now because there is a reward, our brain remembers it. Our brains knows oh, last time when I did this, it felt good. Let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so next time the phone is buzzing, your brain remembers. Ooh. That will make me feel good, so I'm going to take pick it up and I'll have a look. Mm. Yeah, the same for example, let's say boredom, yeah, but probably very common. You hear that as well. People eat because they're bored, yeah. Boredom is a trigger at the end of the day, it's just a sensation in the body, it's a certain state, right? It's a state that we're in, we're bored, but I see that as a trigger. Now, there is a behavior, so every time I'm bored, I'm gonna go to the kitchen. And eat something so it gives me something to do it occupies me for that little while now there is a reward reward is it made me feel good i did something it kind of entertained me for a little while released dopamine so i get this a bit of a food high maybe as well so next time when i'm bored i remember what i did last time and that felt good so i'm going to do that over and over and over again And it's like doing our shoelaces. We don't really think about how we're doing the shoelaces, right? We did that at the beginning when we were little, when we were just learning the same as driving our car. At the beginning, it was a very conscious decision to do it. And then our body knows how to do it. So in that moment, our mind becomes our body and our body becomes our mind. It's our body that learned how to do that in that moment. And it's the same with eating. If we've done that now so many times, we've repeated the same behavior over and over again, we are now, yeah, we don't need to think about it. It's on autopilot. It's automatic. That's how we people then every time find themselves in the kitchen in front of the open fridge until it starts beeping because you've been standing there too long. And then they would realize, oh God, I'm doing this again. Mm. Yeah, so it's automatic. That's how we create habits by repeating the same behavior mm. over and over again. I think as humans,
0: we are such kind of habit-bound creatures, aren't we? We kind of like we our are. habits, don't we? And yes, I guess they do and they kind of help us, I guess, don't they? With lots of things. Like it's nice with some things like, you know, not having to think about things too much, but you can so see how A habit can become quite unhelpful, can't it? And it's so unconscious, then it's kind of hard to just like turn it off.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. There is definitely benefits to it, like you're saying. And that's why we have it, because our brain wants to keep it really simple. It doesn't want to spend too much energy thinking about how to brush my teeth right? <laughs> or I don't know how to change my clothes. When we were little, we had to learn that, right? We yeah. put even shoes the wrong way. <laughs> so the left went on to the right and the other way around. Mm-hmm. Now we know that we are not thinking about it. And so there's definitely benefits to it. But it happens also, yes, with behaviors that are not serving us, that are some of them are more harmful as well. So I know when people are restricting their eating, this
0: obviously like impacts the brain. So how does this impact someone's ability to engage in like habit changing work? Like, is it still doable?
1: It is definitely doable. Yes, absolutely. And I see that with clients. Some clients came to me after 30 years, 30, 30 really years of binge eating and purging. So really being bulimic and We changed that within six months. And so she stopped all of that. It's definitely possible. It requires that awareness. So really working on creating awareness of what are my behaviors? Why am I doing that? Let's make a plan. What do I want to do instead? And then slowly, slowly, slowly changing the way we think, changing what we do, how we act on those triggers. And then, yes, and then we create new habits then that then yeah also more or less on autopilot because we've practiced that new behavior now enough times so that it just comes naturally to us.
0: Mm. So it sounds like there you kind of almost described the process about how someone would kind of go about it with really it's kind of like slowing things down isn't it kind of really gaining that awareness and noticing what's going on and then you know interrupting perhaps those old pathways and looking at different ways of coping. Do you have like are there specific tools that you kind of like use when you're really trying to help someone kind of rewire their brain to break a habit, perhaps particularly with binge eating and overeating?
1: Yes. I mean, obviously, like because I work with someone for half a year, so it's, it's a process. It is really yeah. a process of changing the way we think and then really challenging those beliefs, challenging those rules that we're creating, and then slowly focusing on, let's create just one behavior at a time. Let's really, really change what you do. But what I find works really well is, first of all, To identify what are, especially like you're saying, if it's overeating and binge eating, start a journal. Start writing down what triggered it. What was the Mm -hmm. reason why I did that? So we create really awareness of what are the typical moments when it happens. Am I maybe not eating enough? Am I restricting certain foods? Am I binging on certain foods because I try not to eat them? So then we know, okay, let's introduce that back into your diet and then see how you go. If it's more for emotional reasons, then we can look into, how can I learn to manage my emotions? How can I learn to be okay with my emotions? And because like, let's say when when we eat food, because we felt stressed or we overwhelmed or sad in that moment we're not eating because we're hungry in that moment we're eating because we want to change how we feel mm-hmm. so what if we could be okay with our emotions without the need to change them that's one question the mm-hmm. second one is there are other ways to change how i feel for example When I go for a walk or exercise or move, that releases dopamine, that makes us feel good as well. Other ways to change how we feel and physiology, our body is always the easiest way, I must say. So moving or standing even just upright, bringing the shoulders back, opening the chest, taking really 10 rounds of really deep belly breathing so diaphragmatic breathing that will change how you feel it will break your state in that moment as well Mm. so it's those little tools that help us but definitely start with awareness start understand understanding what triggers those behaviors so overeating or binge eating and then start putting other things in place that you then can practice just one thing at a time, really one thing, and just practice it over and over and over again. Like someone saying, repetition is the mother of skill. (laughs) So, and the same applies here. So if we repeat the same behavior, repeat that new tool over and over again, that will come just naturally to us after a little while. Mm, Sure. I think it's really helpful for people to hear that as well. Because
0: I think sometimes you know, if you've been dieting a lot or whatever, you can often be looking for that quick fix, can't you? Whereas, you know, actually, Mm. like this kind of work on, you know, our emotional well-being, it kind of does take time, doesn't it? And, you know, it's that learning kind of new
1: skills, new ways of being. We can't just flick a switch for that. No, we can't. And we really, in that moment, we almost have to unlearn to be ourselves (laughs) in some of the behaviors right because if we've been repeating that same behavior now since maybe we were little so for the last 20 years we can't expect that it's going to change within a week or two so we have to unlearn that being that yeah as I said because it, it almost becomes a part of what our body does it's our body that's often acting much, much, in our mind can catch up. So we need to unlearn that habit of be ourselves in that moment as well.
0: Yeah, and makes a lot of sense. So, how do you find that your clients kind of engage in this habit breaking work? Can you
1: elaborate on that question, please?
0: Yeah, and no, it's sure. Like, I guess I'm just wondering, like, is it something that people kind of really kind of get into, and they feel that they can use the tools and they can start to see the changes? Or do some people really struggle sometimes to kind of be able to put some of those tools into practice?
1: It depends. I find most people are doing well because they are simple tools. They're not something complicated. But then, of course, everyone is different and I find what maybe works with one person doesn't work with someone else. So we need to then think about other ways to do that. Some people like, for example, to have a food journal not tracking what we're eating, but more writing down, why am I eating that? Why? And what was the reason? What is it that I ate in that moment? And how did I feel in that moment? So more like the why and how rather than the what, but some people don't like it. For example, they find that they start obsessing over food and they focus too much on what and how much (laughs) they ate. So then if I see that, that's kind of what's happening, then I ask them not to do that anymore, because then that's exactly the opposite of what we want to achieve. So everyone is different. And I think we need to find what works for that person. But most people, when it comes to like those basic tools, like let's say deep belly breathing, moving your body in a very gentle, very like restorative way, I find that that usually works for people.
0: No, it's so great to hear. And it sounds like, you know, it sounds like you offer a very sort of personalized approach, don't you really, and kind of work with the individual and kind of, you know, because we are all a bit different, aren't we, in terms of kind of the tools that we're perhaps going to engage with, you know, we're going to engage better with some than with others.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So do you find as well now
0: Eugenia, like in, with, in terms of your own relationship with food and your body today, do you find that, you know, kind of drawing on all your knowledge and all this kind of journey you've been on, like how are you kind of feeling in, in terms of your relationship with food and your body today?
1: It's an interesting question. So I find it's always a journey. I don't think it ever ends. I don't think it ever finishes. I think we always evolve. Most of the time, I see myself as real well, as recovered. And then there are days when even old triggers come up. And just a few months ago, something came up and I was really taken by surprise in that moment that I even got triggered something that my partner said. And I was really surprised, but that gave me a moment then or an opportunity to look into it again. So, okay, what was the trigger? Where's it coming from? Just shows me I need to look at it maybe again, and then I'm fine again. So yeah, yeah, it's a journey and it's progress and it evolves as we go. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I'd agree. I think we're, we're kind of all on that journey, are we? And we're, we're going to never reach the complete pinnacle of kind of self-actualization, I guess.
1: Probably not. <laughs> probably
0: not. <laughs> but I suppose what sounds so helpful there is like now, like you've kind of got the awareness, haven't you? That real kind of depth of awareness. So when you were triggered, you were able to kind of like really stand back and probably like look at it and kind of really explore it. And you know make sense of it in a very kind of self-aware way rather than maybe in in the olden days you may have reacted or
1: that's right yes yes exactly exactly and that is the difference that I can observe a trigger and understand that I don't need to act on that trigger I just observe the thought I understand where it's coming from and I'm quite curious about that as well I Thought, I oh this is interesting haven't haven't seen you for a while. (laughs) But I'm aware that it's a trigger and I don't don't act on it. And that is the difference. And I think when I work with clients, I say, you know what, we're not expecting this to change overnight and even the six months that we're working together. But what I want for you to do is to differentiate the eating disorder voice or disordered eating voice from your own. And then be able not to act on it and then slowly the less you act on it the less power it has over you and then slowly slowly it will get quieter and smaller and it will come back less frequently as well Mm,
0: sure and that's so helpful and I think it's just such an encouraging message because I think sometimes people feel quite disheartened that you know oh, I'm still feeling this way I'm still getting triggered and you know and it's actually just it's so helpful isn't it to hear actually you know I think you know we all still have our triggers sometimes but actually we can learn to react differently and to not you know and actually that voice that unhealthy voice can become much quieter and diluted over time so we can respond differently
1: Mm, absolutely yeah
0: so what are your three most valuable habits do you think that are vital for your self-care and staying like mentally robust today
1: for my own self-care yeah for yourself okay one thing is my morning (laughs) Okay. yes so my morning time in the morning I take usually two hours before I even speak to people <laughs> before I see my clients like really taking my time and I know I have the luxury to do that as well we being able to work for myself and yeah create my own schedule I guess but I do create that time for myself before I give I need to create that for myself yeah my morning is very very important to me what else definitely eating well and that's important eating well so that, yeah, because obviously there are days when maybe I had a little bit more of food that doesn't make me feel as good. So then I know, okay, you know what? That's what I did. That's okay. Just go back to eating more food that actually makes me feel good. So mm. having, having really nice balanced meals, regular meals, definitely, and uh, not restricting the way I used to do it. So being very like fully fully aware of that and probably movement movement even if it's just a gentle walk or my partner and I really like going on tramping hiking so being outdoors or just even going for a walk out to town so for us to get to town it's a half an hour walk most people take a car we would just walk one way and then the other so it's about an hour walk which is great yeah. so movement yeah being outdoors being active that's that's another way for me to look after myself that mm,
0: no, all sounds really good and where you live in New Zealand are you kind of are you, are you kind of like out in the countryside like do you have like lots of nice hikes and walks around you
1: we're not in countryside Hamilton is a city but the way New Zealand is everything is very close by so for me to be out in let's say the country or the mountains, it's about half an hour drive, I think, with the car, and then yeah. there are beautiful walks, beautiful hikes where you can go for like six, seven hour hikes, or even in summer, we went on a three day hike, and then it was maybe like two hours drive, something like that so yeah it's it's very close by. We are very lucky and fortunate here.
0: Hmm, <laughs> it sounds fantastic, okay. Eugenia, thank you like, so much for sharing all this kind of really helpful information, because I know like, you know, so many of the listeners are going to find this so valuable, you know, and, and they really so, it's so great as well to hear your own story and, and, you know, how far you've come and how that's kind of led you to do the really valuable work you're doing today.
1: Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you for having me. And it was really, really a pleasure answering the questions and sharing, sharing what I've learned myself from my personal journey, but also sharing what I've discovered since, yeah, working with a lot of clients. And I really hope that that helps other people as well.
0: Yeah, no, thank you. And I'm sure it really will. So Eugenia, before you go, can you just tell us as well, where can people find you if they want to find out more about your courses or find you on social media and all of that?
1: Yes, absolutely. So I am on social media, obviously, and then there's my website. So on Instagram, I'm under mindfoodness.nz. The same on Facebook, mindfulness.nz or Eugenia Nikiforo. And then my website is also www.mindfoodness.nz.
0: Okay, brilliant. Well, thanks for sharing all of that. And I'll make sure that's all kind of listed in the show notes so people can go and like, you know, check out your content and, you know, hopefully reach out to you if they are interested in that. So thank you so much again. And yeah, I hope you have a great day. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed this interview just as much as I did. So, do go and check out Eugenia and find out about all the great resources and information that she provides um, on her social media and her website. So, if you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the Food Freedom Coach. And for regular tips and insights into overcoming disordered eating, do sign up for my weekly articles on my blog page at foodfreedomcoach.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.